0: When I say IEP, what do you think of? If you want to learn how to write better IEP goals, to feel confident at the IEP table, then welcome to episode 86 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. You are in for a treat. Today, I had a great conversation with Stephanie DeLussi. She is a dual certified special education teacher, master IEP coach, children's book author, and teacher mentor. She's absolutely passionate in this area. And she actually has two businesses, Mrs. D's Corner and the Intentional IEP. She understands not everyone will love IEPs, as much as she does, but it is her hope that with the appropriate training and resources, teachers will not only advocate harder for student services and supports, but also bridge the gap between teachers and families to foster a true IEP team. So today we really get into some very specific items. We talk about objectives, goals, benchmarks. What do those terms mean? We talk about SMART goals. And she also shares things that we can do proactively to make sure that it's a positive experience for all let's dig on into this episode
1: you're listening to autism outreach podcast a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills here's your
0: host Rose Griffin of ABA speech a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session Thanks so much for joining us on episode 86. We have an amazing episode today. I'm very excited about our guest we have with us today, Stephanie DeLussi. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you on. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about IEPs with y'all. Yes. Can't wait. And one of my favorite topics. And um, I think I got acquainted with your stuff just because, I mean, you're a superstar on all the social <laughs> media platforms. Hashtag fangirl. And I know when I started my online business, I was like, okay, Mrs. D. Okay, this is somebody very important. She has a lot of followers, great Aww. content. Um, and then we just kind of got to know each other. And you did the autism yes. connection with us, with us, which was super, super fun. Um, but if, if my listeners are new to you and your work, Can you just tell us a little bit about you, your journey, kind of how you got to where you are now? It's really interesting, actually. Yes. So I'm a veteran special education teacher and IEP coach. I started
1: off teaching, co-teaching in Virginia. I'm from the state of Pennsylvania. Um, So I taught in Virginia, Delaware, Texas, Pennsylvania. And then I'm also certified in Georgia and the state of Florida. Um, I've done everything from co-teaching, inclusion, resource pullout, uh, self-contained. I've taught extended school year through an intermediate unit, a severe autism classroom, and other mild to moderate classes in ESY. Um, I am the teacher behind Mrs. D's Corner, as well as the teacher behind uh, the Intentional
0: IEP very, very exciting. I love that. I didn't realize that you had taught in those states. That's so interesting because I feel like in my line of work with ABA Speech, I talk to people from all over the world, literally. And it's always very interesting to hear how different things are in different states because you get so accustomed to how things operate in your region. And which Where I live here in Cleveland, Ohio, I feel like we do have really robust services for autistic students. And so when you talk to other people about things that are happening, you're like... Oh, Really, I didn't realize that was a thing. It's not how it works here. So that's so amazing that you have that that perspective. So when did you start? When did you start the intentional IEP? When was that business started?
1: I started the intentional IEP two or three years ago. Now the two or the last two or three years were like a big clump of just time that are all bunched together. So it was May of either two or three years ago. I don't okay. really remember. So it's yeah. been a couple of years.
0: Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Well, I do think IP development, that's what we're going to talk about today. It's just such a hot topic because whether you're a speech therapist, a BCBA, a teacher, or a parent, I mean, it really affects all of us who are part of the special education team, The obviously the clients as well, the student. And I know that it can be a stressor. And so I like the intentional IEP sounds like you're helping to de-stress the situation. I always laugh at your Instagram graphics because I'm like, that's right. That's how you feel in that situation. <laughs> because I have, after 20 years, you know, you have so many stories about meetings, and some that go great, and then others that you know are just extremely contentious and nerve-wracking. Yeah. So, so it's a good topic. It's a good topic. So, one of the first things I wanted to talk about, um, and one of our main things we have at ABA Speech, which a lot of people have downloaded, is our Autism IEP Goal Bank. Which helps you get started with students who are emergent communicators. Really popular. We've had about fifteen thousand people download that, and you know, really just a framework on how to get started. I think it can just be so overwhelming. There's so much information, and some districts really don't provide a whole lot of support on. Now, my tip. District down in Austin, Texas, we did a lot of training on like what is present levels, what should be in that, what is the profile. But, you know, not every district is like that. Probably they're not because they probably have to get in so many trainings and, you know, there's other things that might be more important. But when you're the run sitting down and writing the IP and then going over this in the, um, know, meeting with potentially lawyers, advocates, and (laughs) all the people, um, it can be stressful. So I wanted to kind of dig a little deeper um, and ask some specific questions. So what exactly, what exactly is a SMART goal? I feel like we hear that kind of thrown around and can you kind of break down exactly what that means for us?
1: Yeah. So all the time you hear your IEP goal needs to be SMART. What does that mean? And it's actually an acronym that stands for specific, measurable, attainable, Results oriented or relevant, you hear the R either way, and then time bound. So specific just means that the goal is specific in naming the skill or the subject and or the targeted result of the IEP goal. So you wanna be as specific as possible. Measurable, we all know that our IEP goals have to be measurable. So the goal has to be stated in a way that you can measure the student's progress. Now, there's so many different types of criteria. You have accuracy, duration, frequency, distance. um, And then when it comes to behaviors, there's so many other ways that you can track the measurement of an IEP goal. But basically, you want to make sure that not only is your IEP goal specific, but that it is also measurable. So stated in a way that you can collect data on it and then use that data to write the next IEP. Attainable just means make sure the IEP goal is realistic for that child. We want to make sure that it's individualized. So if let's just say you have a student who maybe your IEP goals need to be standards aligned and your student is maybe in third grade and you're like, well, Stephanie is working on single digit edition, even though she's in the third grade, maybe that's a kindergarten skill. And so you're not going to write an IEP goal for Stephanie for multiplication, you might use the matrix of skills to find a prerequisite skill or a a aligning skill for multiplication, but you're not going to write an IEP goal for multiplication because realistically, Stephanie is not going to go from single digit addition to multiplication in the course of one annual IEP. So making sure that the IEP goal is realistic. You also want to make sure that they're results oriented or relevant so making sure that you're stating specifically what the student is going to accomplish and making sure that the goal again is realistic. And then time bound, you want to make sure that there is a time frame in which the student is going to achieve the goal.
0: Okay. And uh, yeah, I think that's you know sometimes we pick up IEPs from other places and I know we've all done this and we've read it a goal and we're like Okay. Like, what are you talking about here? (laughs) Because I know that I have goals like that too. Actually, I had this TikTok. I was so, I'm very proud of this. I have to share. I had a TikTok that got about 200,000 views, and it was about an IEP goal that somebody had sent me or something that was really ridiculous. And, you know, Hopefully it was true, but you know, and it was kind of like this funny trending sound. But people really resonate with IEP content because it's re- we're really passionate about it, right? Yeah, it's like we've all picked up an IEP and we're like, huh what are you talking about? Or we know mm-hmm. we've written goals. I just did a, a reel about this, uh, a short video on Instagram about how when I first started in the field, I was working with autistic learners who um, you know, had high support needs, were not really you know, talking a whole lot or communicating. And I wrote a yes, no goal for a lot of the students. And it's just such a complicated goal that I just didn't know that because I was a new therapist. I was new to the field. I was new to autism. And you look back on these goals and you're like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, what was I thinking? I was yeah. trying my best, but it's so great that there's all this information out there now because when I started in the field in 2003 there was nothing. I mean, there was literally no information. I remember going to my supervisor and saying like, I don't know how to help this young autistic kid. You know, He's not speaking. It's hard for me to do our sessions. And there just like was no information <laughs> to be given. And so now it's almost like there's too much, right? We have to wade through yeah. the information, but at least it's here and we can determine what is going to help our clients. So I, I just love that you're, you're supporting uh, yeah. teachers and therapists. So talk to us a little bit about the difference between goals and objectives.
1: Yes. So there is a big difference between goals and objectives and then a difference between objectives and benchmarks, which we'll get to in a hot second. But basically, I want you to think about it in terms of a staircase. So the entire staircase itself, when you get to that top landing, we're going to be walking up the stairs. Okay. So imagine you are at the bottom of the staircase looking up and you have that top landing or foyer, whatever you want to call it. That top landing, that foyer is going to be your overall overarching IEP goal. So Stephanie will complete these one-to-one correspondence activities, blah, blah, blah. Okay. That is the overall goal. Now, the objectives are benchmarks are those steps in between the baseline and the end goal to get you towards that that larger IEP goal. So the IEP goal is the whole staircase. The objectives are those steps to get you to that larger IEP goal mastery.
0: I love that. And you use the word baseline, which made my my SLP BCBA (laughs) ear kind of perk up a bit because I'll tell you what, a baseline, which we all know that we need to have a baseline in that profile section of the IEP but if you, you know, you really have to have that. It's like if we don't know where we're at currently, then we can't demonstrate that that's a need for the student. We can't demonstrate where we're at and where we're going. I love the idea. I love a visual. I love the steps. I think I've seen that in your slide deck, right? Yes. We're visualizing how are we going to get there. But I'm telling you what, if you're not including baseline data, how the student is currently doing with no intervention, then you really need to start thinking about doing that because that is definitely. Something that if you have a lawyer in the meeting, or you have an advocate, or you have a savvy parent, people are going to uh, point that out. Obviously, you should include that no matter what. But I've just I've been in these situations where I've been in all these contentious meetings, and when you have a baseline in there, it just makes everybody real happy at the table. So, and it's yes, just it does <laughs> best practice, you know, to include yes. those baselines. Include those yes. baselines. Um, okay, so you said you were going to tell us a little bit about. So I like that visual. Now, the difference between like objectives and benchmarks. Yes. So
1: I know you mentioned earlier, state to state IEP formats are different. So some districts that I've worked for want you to write up the way of the objectives, and then some call them benchmarks and some use the terms intertwined, but they are not the same thing. Essentially they are, there's still those steps. However, they're, they're written the same as an IEP goal, but the per- the purpose, I guess, of them is a little different. And you'll understand what I mean when I give you an example. So objectives are gonna break down the larger skill into the necessary skills or those smaller skill sets. So for example, let's say your larger annual IEP goal is you know, given addition and subtraction problems within 50, the student's gonna draw a picture to complete help her complete the problems. So maybe your first objective then, based off of your baseline data, is when the student is given a number between one and 50 in a verbal or written format, they're gonna point to identify the correct number. So very different goal slash it is an objective from the overall annual IEP goal, but is in alignment with what that goal is. It is a baby step to get us to that larger goal. So that's just an example. That's not saying you have to have that if that's your annual IEP goal. So maybe your next quarter, you could have the student will use one-to-one correspondence to count objects up to 50 independently. Maybe the next quarter then we're going to say the student's going to use manipulatives to perform single digit addition and subtraction with whatever the accuracy is. So it's not the same exact skill as the annual IEP goal. They are different skills completely than your larger annual IEP goal, but they're still essentially spiraling or going up that staircase to get you to that larger goal. Now, when it comes to benchmarks, benchmarks are almost identical to the IEP goal. So let's use this example of the student is going to um, print 26 lowercase letters of the alphabet. Now, this example that I have on this slide that I'm looking at actually says trace and print, but I'm going to tell you, don't put those in the same IEP goal because they are two very different skills. So the student's going to print 26 lowercase letters of the alphabet. That's the annual IEP goal. When it comes to benchmarks, you might break it up into, okay, in the first marking period or the first benchmark is going to be, we're going to work on 13 lowercase letters. Maybe we're going to print 13. And then maybe the next benchmark might be, we're going to print all 26 lowercase then maybe the next benchmark, maybe we're going to be, or we're going to trace. Maybe we might do tracing first and then print. Mm -hmm. So you could do trace and print in the same goal if you're going to break it down with benchmarks, but the benchmarks are still in alignment. They're still the same exact skill, but you're breaking down that IEP goal into smaller steps of that skill. So same staircase, just Mm -hmm. a different way to get there.
0: Yeah, I like the idea of benchmarks. And I remember I was working in elementary school and then moved to the middle school. And I remember the teachers kind of commenting and saying, well, this is how we write our IEP goals here. And it was more benchmarking, which I actually really like because when I think about benchmarking, to me, it allows you to have a more narrow focus. So you have a goal and maybe it's for labeling or phrase construction as a speech therapist. And then you can kind of benchmark. And we would do it by, you know, like you said, reporting period or every nine mm-hmm. weeks or the quarter. And then it's more cohesive. And then you don't have one main goal and then like four totally different objectives. And it feels very pressured when you have too many things that you're trying to work on. It feels like then you can't get... yes. One done with anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so I like that idea of benchmarking. And I think it is different. You know, I wasn't always doing that. Probably just the last 10 out of 20 years, I was doing more benchmarking. But it does make a lot of sense, especially I was working with older learners. And it just came to kind of flowed with the intervention. So I love that. Um, Talk to us a little bit about state standards. I know that here in Ohio, we have something called the extended standards. So does every state have their own state standards? Or how does that... Talk to us a little bit about that? Because I don't know if every speech language pathologist is really utilizing those. But I know here in Ohio, we have our state standards. And then we have something called extended state standards, which I would reference every once in a while.
1: Yes. So it depends on the state that you're in. I mean, again, so I've worked in six different states So I don't know the whole United States and what everybody's doing, but for the most part, every state has their own standards. If they do not have their own set of standards, they're going to use the common core standards. And then when it comes to the, so I think I'm pretty sure in Florida, they're called Mm -hmm. essential elements or um, they're all aligned. It's like a separate set of, it's not a separate set of standards, but they're broken down into those skill sets for students that are on the alternate assessment for that state. Mm -hmm. Um, so in, in Texas, they, we use the same standards, but we had an, a al- lot like a vertical alignment document oh, that they gave yeah. us. remember that. And it was very, very nice. And, um, it, it was super helpful when it came to standards, but think back to that example that I gave a couple of minutes ago where Stephanie's in the third grade and she has to be working on something that has to do with the state standard is multiplication. But according to that baseline data, Stephanie is only able to do right now one-to-one correspondence. So you have essentially three grade levels, two or three grade levels of skills in between there that Stephanie needs to master first. You can't just hop from one-to-one correspondence to multiplication you can't just hop from single digit addition to multiplication there are a lot of other steps and skill sets in between those two skills to get you from one to the other so knowing what your state standards are really really what you knowing what your state standards are is Mm -hmm. really helpful and helping you determine what skills to work on next when it comes to your students who are multiple grade levels behind now when you have students who are maybe just a grade level behind or a couple of skill sets behind It's a little easier to figure out, Okay, so maybe Stephanie can do multiplication this year because she's only like two or three maybe units behind her peers or skill sets behind her peers. But when it comes to those standards, you want to make sure that some states are standards aligned. Um, Some states are not. I worked in a district uh, three years in a row and every single year it changed. One year they wanted us to write IEP goals with objectives. And then the next year they were like, no, you have to write standards aligned to IEPs and your objectives. You have to have this many objectives. And then Mm -hmm. the next year it changed again. So you want to check with your state and or your specific school because the IDEA federal law doesn't give you any guidelines in terms of How you have to write IEP goals. They know you have to have all these different parts, but it doesn't tell you here's what they should be aligned to state standards or you should, you have to write objectives. Actually, I'm gonna, you might know this, but I'm gonna share this (laughs) with the listeners. So I found this out a couple of months ago and I was like, oh my gosh, it makes so much sense. So the IDEA federal law actually says that if your student takes the alternate assessment in your state, they do have to have objectives underneath their IEP goal. Any other student taking just the regular state assessment does not need to have objectives and benchmarks. Mm. However, the Department of Education for the United States has stepped in and said, in your state, it's left up to the state. So Mm. I've worked in states that have said, yes, your students have to have objectives, because the state will say, yes, they do, or no, they don't, or we're leaving it up to the district. So if you're in like a self-contained classroom, Or if you're in an inclusion classroom or resource classroom and your students are taking that just general run-of-the-mill state assessment and you're like, but my kids have objectives. That's why it's because the U.S. Department of Education said that your state or your district can leave it up to them. So I thought Ooh. that that was really interesting. Yeah,
0: that is interesting. I wonder, have you taken? I got really nerdy for a moment, deep into this. <laughs> and I, um, I well, I had a podcast guest on. Her name's Robin Risigno. Actually, actually, I think she has her PhD now. She is an autistic adult. She's a scholar and she's raising an autistic child. So she came on. We talked about autism and girls. And she actually has pretty big social media um, presence. But she told me about this organization called COPA, which is I've for heard. Advocates. I actually joined it. It is a very interesting organization to be a part of. And then what I did too, because it's hard for me. I don't know if you get some of this, but parents will contact me from all over the world, which you know, if it's another country, it's actually easier for me to actually work with a parent just with the way my licensure is. I'm only licensed in Ohio and in Washington state. So I was like, well, maybe I could offer some advocacy services. So I joined COPA. And then I also took the rights law course, which... The the audio is not great. I don't know if you've ever taken this course, but it does an extreme deep dive on IEPs and advocacy. What was great about it is you get two books when you sign up. I think it's like $100. Mm -hmm. You get like this law book and then you get like a nice book that's like easy for everybody to understand. And it's worth it. I mean, if you're into this stuff and you kind of want to know more about it, doing a deep dive into that, I was like, Oh, this is interesting because obviously we all learn this like we've have slightly different backgrounds, but both special ed, you're learning stuff and then you're applying it. But I think there's some stuff you just miss because with the whole like you don't need objectives. I have heard that before, but I didn't know exactly what the rule is. And sometimes, you know, you have this business where you're like deep diving into this, which is great, because like practitioners, it's like we don't have time to figure that stuff out. It's like, how do you even get the right answer? You know what I mean? So yeah, that that is really interesting. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Um, I actually have the rights law trainings on my desktop. Like okay. I just bought them a couple of months ago, and I've been going <laughs> okay. through them. So I do. And I've read all the books. I have all okay. like they're all amazing. But I actually I do. I'm taking their law and advocacy training. Okay, yes. and I think it's for, <laughs> it's four videos. Yeah.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. You will have to text me. Let me know what you think of that. <laughs> um, it is good information, though. It's very, very, uh, very interesting and such a nice website. So, rights law. It starts with a W. It's like W R I G H T. Um, kind of a very um you know, an expert and authority in this area. So that's so funny that you have that too. Um, we're nerds. We're IP nerds. I love yes, it. we are. <laughs> um, okay. So t- kind of getting to the meeting part, what are some suggestions you have? And, you know, every district is different and every, you know, place is different. Um, you know, where I uh, work and I actually just stepped away from the public schools. Oh my gosh, in May, you know, just to do ABA speech full Time. But we always sent a draft home for parents, which I mm-hmm. thought was always really great. And you know, if it was a parent that we knew they had outside ABA services or a home team, which is pretty commonplace here where I live in the Cleveland, Ohio area, you know, we would send it like a week in advance because mm-hmm. parents would want their ABA team to look at it, their outside speech therapist. And so we wanted to do that as a way to, you know, extend the olive branch and say, like, hey, we really appreciate your feedback. And, you know, you know, because IEPs, like they can be positive, they can be kind of um. Uncomfortable for everybody, so it really just depends. But what are what are some strategies that you share um, that might be helpful for us to have a positive a positive experience with the IEP? Yeah, so
1: I have two or three things. We'll see how many I can get through really fast. So the first thing is yes, absolutely, the draft IEP. That is a hill that I will die on. Um, I did not start my career sending out draft IEPs. I did not actually learn about sending draft IEPs because there's nothing in the law that says that you have to Mm -hmm. send it. Some states and some districts, it is required, but federal law says nothing about it. Um, I did not learn about draft IEPs until I taught in a self-contained classroom. And we had to send ours home 14 days prior to the IEP meeting. Yeah. But I love it. I love the collaboration that comes from sending home a draft IEP. Now, when you're sending home a draft IEP, I only recommend sending home the present levels and IEP goals, the proposed IEP goals. (laughs) It's very important that when you're talking to parents and you're saying, sending home a draft IEP, that you're letting them know they are proposed Mm -hmm. IEP goals. You can, and I'm saying this like with air quotes, you can send home the accommodations and modifications, but then you're getting into that gray area of predetermination. So I really try to stay away from that. But when it comes to The rest of the team. So, sending home that draft IEP is really going to level that playing field for the parents. So, when they come in, and when I say parent, I'm saying that loosely caregiver, guardian, whoever Mm -hmm. is in charge of the student. So, the parent, the caregiver. It levels the playing field for them. So it allows them to come into the meeting and have all of the data that's in the present levels because present levels should not be opinions. Present levels is data. Data is not going to change. Data is fact. So they have all of that information. So when they come in, they're not being bombarded with information of what their child can and cannot do. It's already there. We already have it because you're calling them beforehand. You're sending home those questionnaires and input forms. You're speaking to everyone on the team before you get there. You're taking evaluations. You're doing all of that before you're sending home the draft your IEP goals are based on the data in the present levels. So they can change. Yes. And they may change. Yes. At the meeting or before, if you have a conversation with the parent, but that really levels the playing field for the parent when it comes to the gen ed teacher. Now there's this divide in our community, and I'm sure you're aware of it as well of between the special ed teacher and the gen ed teacher. It's nothing that is any fault of either of us. It's Mm -hmm. just how it's we've always done what we've always done and this is how it's always been but i'm here to change that because the gen ed teacher is the content grade level content curriculum expert we cannot modify accommodate and adapt grade level curriculum without knowing what it is as the special education teacher we are the expert in accommodating modifying adapting Mm -hmm. we can't do what are we going to adapt and modify and accommodate if we don't have a curriculum So Mm -hmm. we have to work side by side. So one thing that I found that's really powerful when it comes to creating a positive experience for all team members and really getting everyone involved is meeting with that general education teacher ahead of time. So Mm -hmm. sitting down and saying, here's the data. So essentially sitting down with them and looking at the the present levels. And this may be before you send home the draft. Sitting down with them saying, hey, here's the data we have. Here are the proposed IEP goals that I'm thinking of putting in to the IEP, what supports do you need as the gen ed teacher to help Stephanie work on these goals in your classroom? And also, what supports does Stephanie need in your classroom to work on these goals in your classroom? It puts the ball in their playing field. It lets them know, I'm here for you to give you supports that you need. But I'm here also because you know that when you walk into anyone's classroom, whether it's a special ed classroom or a gen ed classroom, there's different expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, in high school I had a teacher who hated when we chewed gum and we were not allowed to chew gum in his class. But then every other teacher didn't care. Mm-hmm. But we knew that expectation going into that classroom. Mm-hmm. So, we need to work with the gen ed teachers to see what their classroom is like and what different accommodations, modifications, adaptations our students are going to need in specific classrooms and not just do a run of the mill individualization, air quotes for all of the students just based off of, oh, you're going into the Gen Ed classroom. So those are my two. I think those are the most important draft IEP and just meeting with, with the Gen Ed teacher beforehand and asking what supports they need and what supports the student
0: will need in that specific classroom. Yeah, those are great. Such Such great information. I just love it. So where can people find out more about you and your work?
1: Yeah, so if you are looking for more things, all things IEPs, you can find me at theintentionaliep.com. That's also Facebook at theintentionaliep, Instagram as well at theintentionaliep. If you're looking for more of classroom lesson plans and activities, you can find me at Mrs. D's Corner, And I'm on social media as Mrs. D's Corner, Mrs. D's Corner everywhere else, Facebook, Pinterest.
0: All of the things. All of the things. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was great to see you. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.